0: On to Facebook and and, uh, LinkedIn and and Tom I just need to tell you I I went and got my third jab uh, yesterday and uh, um, all my mates have told me that uh, for the first 24 hours you're fine but it's after 24 hours it kicks in um, and then you feel uh, like a a pile of uh, of doodah so that's roughly 24 hours ago since I had my third jab so if I fall over Tom you're going to run this broadcast is that okay?
1: Well, I thought it we was supposed to make you feel invincible rather than
0: make you fall over. But, uh... Well, we do, we'll we, we see what happens. Hello, everyone. Welcome to myself, Max McGillivray. I'm Editor-in-Chief of Beanstalk Global. We've got the great Tom Bradshaw, NFU Vice President on. Tom, say hello to everyone.
1: Good afternoon, everybody. Great to be with you. And, and Tom, where are you today with that gorgeous uh, backdrop, please? So I'm in Stonely today where our HQ is based on Stonely Park and so we've had the Joy of Policy Board this morning discussing oh, right. a whole range of subjects from beaver reintroduction through to water, uh, the HDB and everything else that goes with it. I, just to date myself, do you remember the old NFE offices in London? I don't
0: actually know, but I know where
1: they were, but they,
0: that predates me. Yes, I, I just I don't know why I always think about it. The, the toilets, there were magnificent. It was like a Victorian... Uh, building, but totally non, non uh, suited to purpose, and so it was a great idea as uh, as the NFU did to relocate to, to Stanley rather than being in, in central London. Uh, but Tom, let, let's get let's get on with this, and uh, let me just give a bit of background, uh, especially for those uh, people on the podcast as we stream live to to Facebook and LinkedIn and to YouTube. Um, Tom and I uh, we bumped into each other at the uh, recently held National Fruit Show in Kent, and we, we had several requests um, on the back of the interview that Tom and I uh, did. Um, and i was just saying to Tom in the, in the green room, out of all the, the, the videos, the vlogs that we did on that day, Tom was by far the most watched, probably cause, no offense to anyone else, but uh, he spoke the most sense in respect of politically where we are within the farming and the horticulture and, and the fresh produce sectors. So we just wanted to um, go again with him in a bit more of a comfortable surroundings, Tom and Stonely, me and embarrassing Edmunds, and to gain his views, reactions as to what he's seen at the moment. And Tom's background, Tom farms in partnership with his wife, Emily, and his parents in North Essex. own country, is that right, Tom? North Essex? Well, it's not a bad part of the world. <laughs> um, it, uh, alongside the farm, they have a, uh, a larger contract farming business, growing a range of combinable crops across 950 hectares in North East Essex. The home farm is based around arable production, but also has diversified into equestrian and renewables. Tom has represented the NFU from local branch chairman through to chair of the National Combinable Crops Board. And and Tom, we were just saying in our our green room, I think you and your colleagues have to be applauded um, in respect of the way that you've all handled yourself and assisted the sector over the last 18 months, uh, two years. it can't have been easy in, in the respect of it. it's just completely unsliced charity uh, for, for all of us but especially for uh, the, the NFU because it, you must have had such a leaning from your members for um, everything from, from advice to oh my god cry, cries of help. Well, what, what was it like for the NFU over the last two years please?
1: Well, I, I only got elected on the 26th of February um, just before the crisis struck and uh, we'd done a couple of weeks of induction and then I, I remember driving home on the 23rd of March and uh, my uh, at that point in time we'd just been asked to go into lockdown avoid all but essential travel and uh i, I mean my my first reaction was that we were going to have 10 members of staff on our equestrian business that so we were going to have to make redundant because at that point we didn't know anything about furlough uh we didn't know anything about any government support and, and so that was sort of i guess we i had my day job of uh, being a farmer and then i have my NFU vice president role and so then you, you're sort of thinking about the impact for those 10 families and they're, they're those people and then you're just like wow what, what, else, what, what else happens on the back of this? I think we, we know that sort of half of the meals are eaten out of home. And so suddenly seeing the out-of-home market shut down overnight, just gave us a huge re-plumbing exercise to do. It was never that there wasn't enough food, But it was just that the food was in the wrong places and going into the wrong supply chain. So we had dairy farmers pouring milk down the drain, but we had no um, shelves were empty in the supermarkets. And it was a case of how do we get product that was supposed to be destined for the out-of-home market into retail? Yeah, government changed competition law so that uh, retailers could work together. And and there was just an absolute urgency from right from the top of government to do anything they could to try and make sure the supply chains functioned. Um, I think it was the first time that they'd realized just how fragile our just-in-time supply chains could be. And look, we all saw, I mean, it's the first time in many generations, and for, you know, for a lot of people watching this, it will be the first time that you were never able to buy something that you wanted.
0: You know, all the way through
1: my life, if I've wanted it, and it sounds, you know, we've been able to have it. You know, we've been very, very lucky. But if you go back to that last week of March, if you wanted blue roll, you couldn't get blue roll. If you wanted milk, you couldn't get milk. And actually, it's the first moment that people have had to think, well, what do I need? What can I live without? And where, where can I get it from? Yeah. And uh, so I think you know, very, very unique circumstances. And from an NFU perspective, we, we probably never felt we would see another time like that, Max. You know, it was all hands to the pump, you know, working you know, ridiculous hours as anyone does to try and get through what was an absolute crisis at that moment. And, and then suddenly where, where we find ourselves today I genuinely think that the supply chain is just as fragile now as it was then. But the problems we've got in our supply chains today are systemic. They're not something that can be solved by a replumbing exercise. If the supply chain breaks before Christmas, yeah. then it, it will be significant. It's because there's not enough labor, it's because there's not enough haulage capacity or shipping capacity or whatever it may be. And there's actually no quick fix for that. So, whereas before at the start of COVID, it was about replumbing. If we if we get to the point where where the supply chains are you know aren't coping before Christmas, there's no quick fix.
0: Yeah. So on that basis, Tom, are you and the NFU worried about that supply chain for the for the for the short and the medium term? We we're,
1: we're worried about you having choice, you know, or the, the customer having choice, because as like I've said, we've always had choice and we take it completely for granted that whatever we want to buy will be available on the day we want to buy it. And we're already seeing if you go into retail at the moment, there's already plenty of examples where you can't buy what you want, whether that be one famous brand of crisps that Gary Linek is associated with <laughs> or, or, or whether it be you know, some of your fresh fruit and vegetables, which actually there are supply chain blips at the moment. Yeah. And so we are already seeing it. But the real question is how significant, how serious does that become in the build up to, to Christmas, which I, I hate to focus on Christmas, but ultimately it's been a key driver for government. Yeah. and yeah, we know that retail is just so busy in that fortnight in the run up to Christmas, and uh, you know it will be very interesting to see how it copes.
0: Yeah, I think I might have used this expression um, when when we met, met up at the National Fruit Show, and I think I stole it from uh, from internally from government that the government is very worried that we are but four missed meals from anarchy. So go back to, to March of oh, I forget how many years now, 2020, when there was that concern about no, no milk and, uh, and and no bread. And and that concern and yeah I completely agree with you. And I love your expression about the replumbing exercise. It's fascinating now looking at the supply chain, and it's not just the UK. If you look at the the the, the states, we broadcast with them recently, and you look at the the issues that they've got in exactly the same thing. as labour um, haulage, but it's even more complicated because they they can't get um, trucks um, out of the eastern ports because the. Um, uh, the ports there are not allowing non-unionised uh, drivers in, into the ports. so it's just bizarre because, you, guys, you've got to feed the states. But the, but the problems are, are relatively simple. Uh, t- Tom, you can tell by me I'm very optimistic. Do you, do you think that actually there's going to be a, a great learning for all of us, for the NFU, for the farmers, for the fresh produce companies, that as we get through, hopefully, um, into spring, summer of 2023? Too, that we can make our sectors better from everything that we've learned in the last couple of years.
1: I think you, through a period of crisis, you always have to learn. And, you know, I, I like you, would um, classify myself as an optimist. Uh, but I think your government need to learn as well. And your business has to take responsibility for what business can do. But actually, there are some, some challenges at the moment that are beyond the capability of business to sort. And I'm particularly thinking about the labour challenge today. Um, you know, I, I would think it was on the EFRA session that George Eustace did uh, on Tuesday. He was saying there's a million and a half vacancies across the economy. Um, and yet we've got the highest level of employment we've ever had. Yep. And one of the lowest levels of unemployment we've ever had. Now, to me, you, you can't fit a round peg in or square peg into a round hole. You know? And at the, the moment, we don't have the level of available um, employee or employees that want to work to do the jobs that we need done. And these are jobs that I, I, I'm sure I said it when, on that um, podcast yep. we did from the National Fruit Show. These are absolutely crucial to society. Now, whether it be a picker in a field picking courgettes or, or you know, picking uh, greens or that sort of thing, whether it be somebody working in retail, whether it be the lorry driver, they are crucial roles that the supply chain does not function without. And I I really fear that we don't have the available pool of labor that wants to, is able to, or or wants to fill those roles. And the only short-term solution to that is an immigration solution. But where we're facing ourselves today is that we seem to be looking at things through an ideology rather than the reality of the challenge in front of us. And and we need to have some proactive, some positive decision-making. And this is highly regulated Immigration that we're looking for highly controlled. It's not uncontrolled. It's not unlimited. You know, the COVID recovery visa would just put everyone on even keel for the next twelve months. So you know you can get the fill your vacancies. Yeah. And you can keep their supply chains functioning. And also we can keep a little on inflation because inflation is running out yeah. of control. And, and particularly for the fresh, fresh produce sector, um, any anyone trying to pass that up to retail at the moment it is proving very very challenging. Yeah. But it has to go up that supply chain. And 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 Tom, there was a seminal moment
0: at the National Fruit Show that uh, uh, we had v- Victoria Prentice, MP, head of state for Defra, um, who opened. Um, and if, if you if you remember her her phrase, and, and she she had some pretty pretty oh I am just going to say, it, she scribbled scribbled notes like she was in the back of her Ford Mondeo and um, um, scribbling scribbling them on, on the on the way down to the show. What what we going to say to these folk, and and she majored on the fact that the, the way the horticultural sector is going to be more is through robotics. And I looked at you and you're going, oh, no. no. And um, she then said her piece and every everyone, everyone was very polite to her, rightly so, because it's very kind of her to be on site. And then and <laughs> it's not that you murdered her uh, intellectually, but you you put such a good case over as to, no, actually, this isn't the, the answer. We do need assistance from, from, from government in the respect of, of what you said. We do need labour. And I think at that point in time, at the at that time of that show, um, uh, our prime minister was banging on about um, high pay uh, for for higher skilled workers but we still need people we still need those skilled people I, I don't know why I'm getting squeaky told because you, you agree with me totally we still need those people in the pack houses we still need these people in, in the fields and currently we don't have them and if we don't have them uh, we're, we're, we're seeing that the product isn't isn't coming through to store and then we've got that uh, that issue with the with the consumer so have you seen anything happen over the last six weeks in government um, since we caught up at the national fruit show have have they come out in in any positive tones
1: to to assist with the with this with the visa visa immigration scheme we still don't know about next year's seasonal workers scheme max which you know businesses are desperate to know what the number is going to be what the scope is does it include ornamentals and flowers or does it not is it it, is it still just edibles and and at the moment we just do not know what that scheme looks like for next year i think we all believe what we do believe we will have a scheme um, yeah. But we just don't know what the numbers are going to look like. And we don't know why there hasn't been an announcement because yeah. you think it should be quite simple to give business some clarity, some confidence, and the ability to start recruiting these people, some of whom are needed in January.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But is it isn't this? Uh... Isn't this just, just endemic of, of the government that we have at, at the moment now? And I don't want to get overly political, but the fact that if you just look at everything that's happened over the, the last 18 months, it's been such a knee-jerk reaction. Um, to just just look at the issues that uh, that the government are have, ha- having at the moment in the respect of uh, MPs and second second jobs, everything seems to be so so reactive. It, is there any way that we can persuade them to to release? To, to give us this, this news about that that scheme oh my god this side of Christmas so everyone can plan plan for 2022
1: what do you think uh, I, 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 I'm gonna be uh, we will know this side of Christmas I, I'm sure of that okay. but look we, we should know sooner than that and and it's just as I say it's a real frustration that it's become so politicized um, and, and it should it's something that shouldn't be it shouldn't be political but it has become a real hot potato and and you know it's just very very difficult for anyone to make those decisions and i, I think i probably my my big my view on this is that at the moment we're still or government in particular are still looking at all these decisions through the lens of a vote that took place five years ago and that vote was to leave the eu okay we've done that let's move on yep, yep. and we now need to look at the challenge in front of us today and look at what the solution is to that challenge but while we're always looking at it through the lens of the decision that was taken five years ago, we're not looking forward and we're not making the proactive decisions that we need to looking forwards. And I think we somehow, it feels like we're at war with government to get these decisions yeah. rather than working proactively together to, you know, to, to look after our rural economies to create a thriving uh, food and farming sector which can yeah. Yeah, help provide jobs, provide food, provide for the environment. And, and look, that's, it's really exciting, it should be, but it yeah, just feels yeah. like a battle. Yeah, but and I keep on coming back to the city food lecture, and I always
0: forget this lady's name, but she's a ama- amazing. She was a keynote speaker about three, four years ago from Holland, professor. Come, yeah. come to me, and I'm sure people listening will, will remember. She was from University, is
1: that if it's the one? Yes, I'm...
0: and she majors on the Dutch Dutch. Diamond, ultimate ear popped, um up. So, so in, in Holland, you have government, you have industry, and you have education, and you have this symbiotic relationship where they all work together for the good of the country, for education, for, for business, and for the government. And then you, you transfer that, that over to, to, to us here in the UK. We, we did a broadcast with Jack Wall from the British Growers and Ali Kappa um, with, from, from the NFU. And uh, they were saying that that's just what we're missing. I think they use the same words. We seem to be at war constantly with the with with, with the government. So, so Tom, for, for two thousand twenty two, two thousand twenty three, y- yourself and the NFU, what what would you like to see um, from 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 government? Or crikey, let's bring bring the retailers into it as well. That's going to ease things. That's just going to simplify the supply chains, give better margin to farmers and growers. Um, for two thousand twenty two, two thousand twenty three, what would you like to see? Get, get on your mega. Well, no, We're starting to
1: talk about fair fair returns for for producers because you know, I touched on the inflationary pressures that we're seeing. You know, the the uh, annual farmers index showed twenty one point eight percent inflation for the year to the to the end of September. Uh, we we know that. Cost of production on farm are rising significantly, energy costs, fertilizer costs, labour costs, packaging costs, haulage costs. Yeah, everything is going up. And if we can't pass that up the supply chain, then ultimately there's no future for, for, for production. Yeah. I believe the supply chain does understand this. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we're still in this retail price war, but we've got to start looking at what are fair returns, what are fair margins. And, and I really think these retailers look at, need to look at what their corporate social responsibility is around this area. Because actually, you know, the, we have to look at slave labor and things like that, but, that, but businesses that aren't able to make a margin, uh, at what point are they working for no return for, for retail? And uh, and I, no, these are, I, they're not throwaway comments because it's really, really serious at a, at a production level at the moment, but we have got to work out how we can just get these fair returns and start to leverage um, prices at a farm level. Then it's down to retail to set prices at a, co- at a consumer level, um, you know, and they're the ones that have to take those decisions. But what we know is that, we will be downsizing UK agriculture if we don't get start to see some action.
0: Yeah, yeah, spot spot on. We did uh, a broadcast a couple of weeks ago with Veg Power, who, who are great at, uh, at representing promoting uh, veg production in, in the UK, and we had the CEO of Riverary Produce, who farm eight thousand uh, a- acres uh, down in Cornwall, growing, growing some of the UK's best best veg. And um, the, the the CEO there, he got very uh, emotional, saying that we just can't go any e- any further because of the, the, the lack of returns, and it's not that we are looking for huge returns. We just need a little bit more so we can invest in the future, invest in our teams, invest in the soil. And again, we seem to be. Is it is it not a similar conversation that we're having with the government? We seem to be at war with government. We seem to be at war in some respects with the with the retailers that they they they. They seem to be so uber scared about raising prices in store and and scaring off the of the consumers. But but Tom, you you'll know, know this is a bit like the discounters deep discounting the week before Christmas vegetables. It, it has been shown categorically by the likes of Cantar that that doesn't increase footfall. They're just throwing money off the off the table, and most of that is
1: has um, been lost to 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 the growers. And we all on had, that on that point, I, I do think that the the one. Positive of the really tight supply chains at the moment is that retail may not be able to do those veg offers pre-Christmas, yeah, because the yeah. The, the market is so tight that yeah. there isn't the spare the spare capacity anywhere in the supply chain to deliver that extra fruit, uh, fruit and veg or uh, fruit and vegetables in that case. So I think we could just see that the tightness in the market is yeah, what well actually said. breaks that model.
0: Well, well said. Um, Tim O'Malley, uh, Group MD for Nationwide Produce, approximately 150 million pound turnover. We, we've had him on um, a, a lot because he, he's great, because he's very, very direct. And as he said, um, everyone, this, we're in our zeitgeist, we're selling more fruit and veg than we ever have done. Uh, but what other market would sell more um, but charge less? Um, if it was any other sector, if it was mobile phones or, or, or whatever, they'd be charging more. Why, why are we such weak sellers? Um, and you speak to uh, other colleagues in the likes of the States and South America and South Africa. And we all within the sector of farming and, uh, and fresh produce, we do seem to be weak sellers. And I don't know if that's because we don't have brands or just additionally, we've been uh, very complicit, complicit. Um, we, we, we've allowed the, 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 the retailers to, to have what, what they want. But, um, Tom, it feels now, speaking to a lot of people, that we've reached a real Crunch points, and there's already a couple of uh, uh, veg companies that have that have sold or are scaling down uh, dramatically um, in the in the last uh, three four weeks. As he, as you sort of intimated, it's going to be a different landscape for the for the farming and the, and the horticultural sectors. But but Tom, should we be should we be positive? Is is this if, if we have the likes of yourself and the NFU representing us to 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 uh, persuade to lobby government and the retailers? Should should we be positive about 2022 and 2023?
1: The reason you've got to be positive is because you know, fresh fruit and vegetable, there's no better story. You know, everyone has to have them. They're, they're a great part of a healthy diet. There's something that we can do really well here in the UK and in, you know, in the right parts of the country. We've got some great producers. And so look, there will always be a demand for, uh, for that fresh produce. Um, but it's got to be, it's got to be at the right price. And know and, yeah, that's going, they are the conversations that I know are taking place at the moment. A lot of these negotiations are uh, you know, contracts for next year and, and things like that are, are ongoing. And I, you know, I, 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 it's a sector, we've got massive opportunity for growth. I've always said, if we, get the, if we can get water sorted and if we can get people sorted, robotics will come along. Look, robotics is really exciting. And I am genuinely excited about robotics in certain parts of the sector and in the right timeframe, but it's not the solution for tomorrow. It's the solution for five years down the road, and as long as everyone's realistic about how quickly the solutions can come, then we we can yeah, work with that. But while we, well, if, if people believe the solutions are going to be here next year and the year after, they're going to be incredibly disappointed, and yeah. uh, and you know, they will fail the sector. I'm, I'm smiling because I'll I'll, uh, I'll WhatsApp Victoria Apprentice now,
0: say that robotics aren't the solution to, uh, for for next week, perhaps in a few years' time. If everyone agrees with me, Victoria. Hopefully, you agree with me tell until, until Boris. And, and, and just uh, just go back to that retailer side, just to give everyone and, and some of you, you'll probably be um, aware of this anyway, a bit of an understanding that the retailers, they seem to be leaning on industry experts um, to get a gauge as to inflationary pressures of what the retailers should actually be doing. So it's I've never come across that before. So they're coming into the, the supply base and, and look, pulling on the expertise of, of uh key individuals who know both, um, both elements of it, the, 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 the supply chain and the, the retail perspective, to see what the solution is. Because the retailers know that if they don't have those, those growers, if those growers start growing arable or, or chimney pots, um, they're, they're not going to have that supply for, uh, for, for for the customers. So then they're going to have an issue.
1: And so what's really interesting here, though, is that if, if you think, probably the last time we had inflation at these levels was 20 years ago. Yep. There'll be very few people inside those supermarkets that have ever dealt with inflation at these levels. Yep. There will actually be a, be a lot of people that aren't in, the, in these businesses producing that haven't dealt with these levels of inflation. We know that one of the retailers, instead of looking at their milk price quarterly, is now looking at it monthly. Okay. And because they, they've seen the, you know, the, this inflationary pressure. So you know, I, there are signs that the retail are alive to what's going on, and that they recognize they need the product. Uh, and yeah, so I, I, I think it will happen. It's just... Yeah. How quickly it can happen,
0: Tom. It's all about communication, isn't it? It's uh, because there's always always got to be that uh, uh, customer supplier relationship, isn't there? But and in in some respects, it's it's almost like we they, they we all need to get into a room. They need to get into a room, and there just has to be an understanding as to what we all need to collectively do to. Survive um, over the next six months, so that the retailers can can work on that, and, and likewise the the, the the growers can work on it. But but I'm I'm sure that uh, the likes of again the likes of yourself and the NFU can can assist that. So now I, th- I think there there are some definitely definitely some bright, bright lights, but I think there, there might be some dark days um along along the way. Just coming back to the robotics, um, so just the, there's been the an announcement of the farming investment fund. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's quite exciting um, in, in the respect of uh, farmers will be able to get a grant to look to develop uh, the, the te- technology. Is, is that something that the uh, the NFUs are excited about
1: as well? Yeah, we've been working on it for, for quite a long while and I co-chair something called the Agricultural Productivity Task Force with Tim Morden from DEFRA, uh, which is a coalition of stakeholder groups from across the sector. Uh, productivity you know, is something which is, uh, I, I guess, my bread and butter is what you, you know, makes me buzz when I'm when, when you're back in your farming business it's it's the exciting part of it and um so we really get they've committed nine percent of the of the budget it's about 240 million pounds a year in total that's been given to productivity spending uh, and so that is an investment in f- food production uh, and it's an area where a government believe that we can improve our productivity there's always a lot of arguments about this but if you look compared to other countries around the world UK productivity has fallen behind and um, so yeah you know, this is an opportunity now for for businesses to have targeted investment and it is very targeted there's a list of 120 items on the um, equipment and technology fund but then there's also another fund uh, in the larger grant scheme which is looking at water water infrastructure so again for, for horticultural businesses that could be quite uh, quite interesting the grants in that one are 35,000 to half a million pounds and so yeah there will be the opportunity there for businesses to to make this sort of in, what, targeted investment in, in improving productivity for the future, improving resource use efficiency, and ultimately resource use efficiency is another word for you know, for sort of carbon footprint. Generally, you know, if you start using your resources better, then you're you're more um, farming in a more carbon friendly way, which is obviously a great thing be doing as well so yeah there is a a real opportunity I mean there's a short window so the application process opened this week and it closes the 7th of January or the 12th of January for the larger scheme Um, and so there is a real urgency to get on and and deliver and I know it's uh, but it's it's an opportunity that's out there and and businesses have to match fund it so it's 40% grants Um, but if you're going to make those investments anyway then it's great to have that bit of support and we'll stick the, the links on uh, for for that, because that's
0: going to be fascinating. And it's interesting what, what you say about the, the carbon side and the, the recent COP26 held in Glasgow over the last, last couple of weeks. It, Tom, were you staggered like like uh, we were, that there was no food, um, farming, agriculture wasn't on the agenda of any of
1: the two weeks. Did, did you not think that was bizarre? But it's really strange. I mean, we we know that in agriculture, yes, we've got emissions, but we we're really unique in that we've got a, a we're a source and a sink. So you know, we have the ability to store carbon. And uh, I just I, I think it's been completely overlooked. We're seen as the problem rather than the solution. And you'll have heard a lot about methane, a lot of hot <coughs> air coming out of car, uh, out of COP and Glasgow. But um, there was a, a fair bit about methane, and ultimately that will fall to the livestock sector, uh, which is just completely unfair. And particularly when you've got where near the average um, carbon footprint of our beef production is less than 50% of the global average, and yet they're being targeted. And the other big problem I have is that while people are being told that changing diet will solve climate change, it means they're not looking at the real solutions. It's greenwashing. And basically, you carry on living your life as you are, but if you change your diet, then it's okay. And that's absolute rubbish. Changing a diet can have a small impact, but fossil fuels are responsible for 80% of carbon emissions. Yeah. And we've got to get serious about changing lifestyles. We've got to own the problem as society, and and recognize how important it is that we do something about it. And at the moment, I, I just think the messages are far too simplistic, and it gives people a, a really easy social con- uh, conscience. Look, two days a week, I'm not going to eat meat. I've done my bit. Absolutely yeah. rubbish. You still, you haven't done your bit. And you know that's. It. I just, I think those messages are far too simplistic.
0: It, it, it is, and and the victims are always the. The the, the farmers. So my my best and worst example, a couple of years ago, I I posted up a picture of uh, British grown uh, strawberries and raspberries uh, from Sainsbury's. Um, and they're in their plastic punnets, and I put it up, and, and I, I got this. I hardly ever ever do. You be surprised by this, Tom? But I hardly ever get abuse on, online, uh, probably because I'm not very attractive. Uh, but, but I got a lot of abuse um, about about the plastic. We shouldn't be using plastic. And then I ended up at the the typical Suffolk monosyllabic dinner party that that particular night, and this this lady, the host, w- went into me about um, why. Uh, all your contacts match, they shouldn't be using plastic and how outrageous it was. And she leaned against her Arga on 24 seven, burning a hole in the ozone layer, two Range Rovers outside and a swimming pool, outdoor swimming pool that's on for seven months of the year. And I just, oh, just and it's, and, and again, I think it's, um, the, 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 the media's is, it's just all consuming, isn't it? And, this. and uh, if you want to call it false news, fake news or, or manipulated news. And, and again, that's why we need the likes of the NFU to give the, the farmers a, a, such a strong voice to it, it make people understand that actually eating beef is not bad, if, if anything, it's even better. So if you look at some of the processed plant-based foods that are coming through from some of the, the big food protagonists, all they're after is, is that, and they're just dressing up, don't say crap, Max, they're, they're dress, dress, dressing up um, uh, over modified food as, um, as plant-based. So yeah, we just, we need to keep that, that message out.
1: Uh, you, know, you, you look at a, a nice steak and it has one ingredient, beef. Yeah. and you look at one of the plant-based alternatives it has 20 plus ingredients yeah you know and i know which one i'd rather eat to be fair and yeah. uh, and one a grass-fed steak is going to be far more healthy for me than something that's got all these ingredients that i haven't got a clue what they are and uh, you know so it's pretty simple as far as i'm concerned but um obviously i'm a bit I, i'm just too simplistic and i don't understand their arguments but um,
0: yeah. but are we always are we going to always have this issue because you've been in so many talking shops like like I have over the years about how can we promote agriculture? How can we promote fresh, fresh produce? It, it, is it, is it, it's always going to be difficult because um, the UK is, is basically an, an urban society and the bulk of people haven't done what you and I've done and tripped over, over a tractor tire at six o'clock in the morning um, and don't, haven't seen that. They, they don't understand here it comes, Jeremy Clarkson. Jeremy Clarkson has, has, has shone a light on, on the agricultural sector and, and done a fantastic job for us. And, and how bizarre is that, that someone like him would actually give, give us a, a leg up so so many people would would give would have a better understanding of our, our sector. Is there more that we collectively could do, that we can assist the NFU to get that message across, that farmers are good and farmers are not bad?
1: Yeah. Uh, so- the industry always feels like it's under attack at the moment. Jeremy Clarkson has done an amazing job. You know, he genuinely has reached an audience we couldn't dream of getting to. And, and you know, the best line out of the whole thing was that I've done all this for 147 quid or whatever it was. You know, it was um, a pittance. And, and I think that just made people realise that actually it, it's quite challenging. And we don't want people's sympathy. We just want their understanding that, um, you know, that this image of the rich farmer driving his Range Rover is, is actually couldn't be further from the truth. You know, it always... It might be asset rich but it's certainly cash poor um, but the public do support farming uh, and i think that um it, we annually we do a survey and 75 of, of british public actively support uh farmers and british yeah. farmers yeah. Yeah. so that, that's a really good news story yeah. i also think that if we if we can all work together to just raise the profile of the fact that agriculture is the solution to climate change and that local sourcing is going to be really important uh, you know, growing things and producing them here in the UK for the 70 million people on our doorstep generally is going to be a good thing. OK, there might be some exceptions, but generally the, the less miles, the less food miles that you have, the better it's going to be. Yep. And that, um, you know, I, I sort of say it jokingly, but there's also a, a bit of a, a serious tone to it. That What could be more exciting than feeding the population while trying to solve climate change? Yeah. And, yeah, and that perfect. is the job that we are tasked with. Yeah. And we're going to need some pretty clever people coming in to do that.
0: Yeah, and yeah. So I, I really
1: do think that we've got, a, we've got a hell of a job to do, but there's no reason we shouldn't back ourselves to be a career of choice for the future, because yeah. I just think it could be an incredibly exciting time to be coming an in, into an industry which probably has been taken for granted. But now there's going to be a, all sorts of different opportunities. Some of it will be food production, some of it will be biodiversity and carbon storage. And But actually, I, I, I think it's a, a really exciting place to be. Uh, last week um, Tom we did a broadcast with
0: MDS management development services so if, uh, if, if people aren't aware of them uh, they take the cream of the crop uh, coming out of the uh, the agricultural institutions and universities and they stick them on a, a two-year apprenticeship scheme where they do four comments with uh, four diff- different uh, different companies and it's just, it's just an amazing scheme it's been going 30 years and Tom what I found fascinating with the oh there's a whole bundle of them there's about a dozen of them on the on the on our broadcast um, and half of them had never been involved in agriculture they it didn't come from a... From a from a farming uh, background, when I was at uh, Harper back in the day, everyone came from a farming background, and we're picking up now over the last 18 months as well that people, the younger generation, want to get involved in businesses that can make a difference uh, in the respect of um, um, environmentally uh, on, on a sustainable basis, and they're not going to be doing that working for Goldman Sachs, but they are going to be doing that for all the farmers that you and I uh, know, um, whether whether that be growing cereals, whether it be growing beef, whether that be growing fresh produce. So I'm quite optimistic, especially with the with the likes of MDS uh, waving that big flag about coming into into the sector, that we're going to have some really interesting people co- coming in. And I, I always mention this Tom. where I'm, I am in Bury, uh, St. Edmunds, and a mile north of me, there's an amazing uh, greenhouse uh, that was um, uh, constructed by a, a business called um, uh, Low Carbon Farming. And their trick the technology, Tom, is that they take the treated Waste sewage from the Brays and Edmonds sewage plant uh, plum, uh, pump it a mile up to to the uh, to the greenhouse. They've got seven Italian heat extractor units that take out the heat. There's excess heat in that uh, treated sewage of about tw- there's a 12 degrees differential that then heats all the greenhouses and grows t- tomatoes, cucumbers, peppers. The uh, sewage come the cooled sewage comes down treated and then gets put back into the water course all treated and so environmentally it's brilliant for the water courses um and it's growing some of the best tomatoes in the in the country so talking about tech um yeah if if anyone's looking at this thinking about uh, about coming into the sector that there's so many opportunities to to get 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 involved with yeah tom so i I completely agree with you it's a very exciting sector to be to be associated with and it's from science
1: through to business management and accounts you know you can do anything in agriculture there is no limit to 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 the skill set or the, the you know the, the sort of subject that you can be involved with in, in within agriculture. So there is no limit.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so I've got I've got to lead you. What what are you most excited about agriculture over, over the next three, four, five years?
1: I, I I genuinely think it will be the technology development, okay. which are going to be um, really fascinating. And I don't know exactly what they're going to be, but you know I'm sure that within five years, commercial scale um strawberry harvesting Robots, you know that sort of thing. I know they're being trialed on farm now, but they're not really at commercial level. But I think that sort of thing will be will be really interesting. Disease treatment, again, in, in the more intensive glasshouse sector, um, I, looking at robotics and, and things like that, which you know, again, being trialed now in, in some of the sectors is 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 going to be really a really exciting. Yeah. Um, water use, I think that will be transformational. Some of the technologies, and yeah, we've got to get better and better at our water use because it's a resource which is going to be incredibly limited. Um, and I think we uh, water is a, a really interesting area where actually, again, we you, you look at importing product from water scarce parts of the world, yeah, and you're thinking, hang on a minute, how can this really be right that we're importing water from a country which has, has got water problems? And yeah. so I think that that's going to be a really really topical area, yeah. Um, and so, but yeah, I, I think government really do want to unlock that, the technology side of things. And um, The other bit that I, I think they really are excited about, and you know, we, we probably are nervous about trade. You'll have heard a lot about what the NFU said about trade and, and, and our, our fear that the Australian trade deal was a president uh, and was going to be copied with other trade deals. We've seen that then with New Zealand and then sure enough, it's you know, it basically been rolled out again. But actually, they really are ambitious for trade. Uh, and I, you know, we have countries around the world that really value the traceability and the provenance of British product. Uh, and that does give us a great story. And so there'll be some sectors, and particularly the dairy sector, uh, where we can really look to build exports and, and, and build you know, that story. Um, and actually, say, British farming, you know, people say to me, why are you optimistic about the future? And I, I just think what we need to do as British agriculture is make sure we're the best. It means having the lowest carbon footprint, having the lowest biodiversity impact, or the, the, best, the best biodiversity impact, if we turn it on its head, you know, the lowest environmental impact, and actually make sure that what we are doing, we are genuinely world-leading it. Yeah. And then that gives us an amazing story to tell, an amazing story to defend British agriculture, to sell it to the public, and to build that export capacity. So there'll be some areas we'll never be exporting it, yeah. but there'll be other areas where that will, will there'll be growth opportunity. And what we need to do is build value. And if we're building value by that export growth, if we're creating competition for retail, because actually there's an export market instead of it just going to retail, that's what helps boost value, helps bring in more cash into the sector, into the industry, and hopefully gives the opportunity for better returns. And so, you know, I am optimistic for the future, but we are going through the next six months. Let's not put any uh, sort of um, false hope. It's going to be challenging the next six months. And uh, we've got to get through this period. And that's the messages that, I really hope land with government is that you know, we, we don't want to bail out, but we do need your help to get the policy in place to enable us to be competitive. Uh, and it's really that enabling policy, which I just think is absolutely crucial. Yep. And we haven't seen enough of yet.
0: Yep. yep. But with it with your professional lobbying, I'm sure that uh, you'll, you'll be able to achieve that. And, and Tom, th- thank you. That, that was a bit, bit of a masterclass as to where we want to see. Um, UK agriculture and fresh produce to, to, to head. So if we can all mirror uh, Tom's tom thoughts on on that, that is going to be um, amazing. A quick co- question in um, uh, from a chap called Terry. Uh, could you ask Tom? The NFU has done a fantastic job over the last eighteen months. What's the NFU going to look like four or five years from now? <sighs>
1: Um, that's, I hope it's not Terry, who's my, uh, the Director-General sitting in the office over there. But if it is, that's a really difficult one, Terry. Thank you very much. And look, we've got to be fleet of foot. We've got to make sure that we're representative for members, that we're doing the job for them, that there'll be difficult decisions we have to make where we've got to lead. And you know, so it's not all just about representation. It's also about making sure we, we're creating the vision of the future and what the industry can look like for the future. I always say that our job is to create the policy framework to enable you to run competitive businesses. We will never run those businesses for you, but we've got to get the the building blocks in place to enable you to to run those competitive, profitable, commercial businesses. And so, you know, the, the industry will change. And in reality, there might be some consolidation. But we've we've just got to, to to make sure that we are fit for purpose, that we're delivering value for members and that we're creating the industry and the footprint that we want for the future and, and that we need. So, you know, I don't think we if we set our stall and say this is what it'll be like in five years' time, we'll probably be wrong okay. because I don't think anyone can anticipate exactly where we'll be. But we've got to accept that change is happening, change will happen and, and make sure that we adapt with it. Yeah,
0: yeah. My my first job when I I fell out of Harper Adams with the NFU as a group secretary in Chichester, and I've just, just seen the ev- evolution of the of the NFU um, since since then, since then, as, as, as has been, it's been great. So I'm sure it's going to be fit for purpose um, ongoing. How can we help you, Tom? How can we help your colleagues? How can we all collaborate with the NFU on this mission that we've all got to make uh, agriculture, fresh produce in the UK world leading? How, how can we collaborate with you?
1: Every one of us has got a story to tell. Uh, and you know there'll be some businesses who take marketing really seriously and are actually genuinely selling their product there will be other businesses that load it over the side of a lorry and they think the job's done and that we we all have an, have the, the need the job to do to promote british agriculture um to you know when people say what well, the school should understand well actually are you helping the school understand yeah. are you in there helping with the, you know, with the lessons and we give, there's opportunities for our NFU education uh, to be involved with with, with that and you, know, you get all the help that you you need to be able to, to get involved with the, you know those lessons and, and teaching and so i think every one of us has to take responsibility and you know the, the most genuine lobbying comes when it's, it's us with the policy background or with that you know, that policy and that expertise you know with our staff here working with grassroots members on the ground and having those mp meetings where the mp is looking them in the eye and they understand the pain they understand the reality And it's that authentic voice of British agriculture, which is what our members give us. And that's the unique thing about the NFU is we've got some amazing policy staff, technical staff, but we've also got the membership of authentic farmers that are doing it day in, day out. That that's what I am. I, then I'm, I, you know, that's what I'm passionate about is farming. Yeah. But you know, I'm, I feel incredibly lucky to be doing the the role that I am within the N.F.U. and, and trying to create this future for British agriculture. So it's um, no, I think we just all need to take responsibility and not think it's somebody else's job.
0: Yeah, well, well done, and, and well done for applauding your internal team. That they, they are, for okay sake to say, that they are sort of the unsung heroes within within the N.F.U. farming fresh, fresh produce sectors for the for the expertise that they bring bring to all of us.
1: Yeah, no, we're, we're really lucky to have, to have some amazing people that um, do, the, they, they do the hard grind and we're the ones that get to sell it publicly. You know, that's the reality of the way office holders work with that team yeah. here is yeah. that um, yeah, it's detailed policy development. Uh, and then we have to sort of yeah, get the get the political support and the, do the lobbying and everything. But it's yeah. an amazing relationship. And, and uh, nobody, they, they, we, we often hear criticism about, well, why aren't the NFU doing this? Why aren't the NFU doing that? But what I would say, if you take the NFU away over the last two or three years, who would have been making those dis- those points? Who would have been having those conversations? And so we'll never be perfect. But by Christ, I think it would be that you know, we've been, been doing a really good job at making sure that farming is it's front and centre. A lot of these discussions, which it, you know, it, it hasn't always been and yeah. it is now.
0: Yeah, we're in safe hands with with yourself. Uh, two final questions before we wrap up. Um, uh, th- who's this? This is Jonathan asking. Is Tom going to be attending any of the upcoming events, like uh, the, the 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 potato event, and also Oxford Farming Conference in the new year? Um, are we going to see Tom at any of these events, Tom? I will be at Oxford.
1: Yes, yes. I as Excellent. I'm Oxford for the full full conference.
0: Excellent. And. Uh, just to wrap up, this is Terry again. Um, at, at the National Fruit Show, I, I asked you what your fresh produce was, uh, your favourite fresh produce, and you rightly so said, uh, a lovely crisper apple, because we were at the National Fruit Show. Uh, Terry wants to know, what's your favourite colour of tractor?
1: Oh, um, <laughs> that, that is, uh, I, I'm not sure if Terry has just converted himself into a four-year-old boy, because that would be the sort of, sort of question I'd be asked by my little boy, Harry. Uh, but, uh, but we have red, we have green, uh, we have yellow, um, <laughs> and uh, as long as they'll
0: give me a deal, I don't really mind which color it is to be extra. Excellent. Tom, uh, as ever, you've been uh, you've been brilliant. Uh, we'll link uh, your, yourself, the NFU. We all must help Tom and his colleagues with the NFU, uh, especially over the next uh, six months. We need the professional expertise, guidance, and lobbying to create create the change that we all want to see. And uh, Tom, we look forward to seeing you at the Oxford Farming Conference in January. Tom, thank you very much.
1: No, great to join you.
0: Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Bye, 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 bye.